Hi there, you're listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. TCC, a home for you. All right, it's good to see everybody this morning. Welcome to Trinity Community Church. Pastor TJ. All the kids, I usually sit right there. And all the kids took my spot. Two, two things happen. One, I don't want to be that close to kids. I don't have a tetanus shot. And two, I just, there's a lot, a lot of volume there. Volume's good, right? How many of you know we all have stuff? Do you really know that? Do you? Think how hard we, we try to hide our stuff. But we know everybody's got it. I think one of the hidden powers of the church is when we're real with one another when we really realize that this is a safe place. You can share your heart and nobody's going to judge you. People are going to lock arms with you and we're going to get there together. That is the power of the church. That's the power of you. Now that's not going to happen, beloved, until we are open to allowing the Holy Spirit to shift some things inside of us. We have to move from being people that tear people down to being people that pick people up. We have to be a church of empowerers and encouragers, not dismantlers and destroyers. And you know what? Here's the good news. I believe in you. I believe you can do that. I believe that this is a house of restoration. It's a house of grace. This is the place that people need to be able to come to when things look bad and they don't know where, you know, where else to go. Come to God's house. This has got to be a place of restoration, a place of grace. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you need that? I need it every day, right? Welcome to everybody online. Welcome to you. Um, One quick little thing before I get rolling. That was extra. That was bonus content. It's like you go to the movie and you see an extra scene. That was like an extra scene, but in the beginning, you're welcome, right? Uh, We have something very exciting coming uh, up in September. On September the 8th, we have a thing called Grow Nights. What is Grow Nights? Grow Nights are our midweek services that we are starting. Uh, it's really cool. It involves a lot of moving parts. Uh, for Wednesday Night Grow, everything starts at 6 o'clock. We have a meal from 6 to 7 p.m. You can order, pre-order a meal from the well. We'll have special meals every week. We're going to turn the atrium area into one big, you know, we're going to have tables and stuff out. It's going to be great. And then at 7 p.m., from 7 to about 8.15, we're going to have electives so you can come and, and, and get education, you know, to your age group, whatever it is. We've got full kids ministry, full youth ministry. We'll have two adult electives. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be amazing. It's a practical way for you to grow in your faith. If you need more depth, if you need something that's deeper and more solid, I encourage you, come to Wednesday Night Grow Nights. Uh, they'll help to boister your faith. That's September the 8th. Mark your calendar. You don't want to miss it. All right. Um, I had another interesting encounter. I, people, they, they, they talk to me and they say, TJ, there's no way. You have the stories and the encounters that you do every day, every week. I do. Craziness is all around you. All you have to do is look for it. God is all around you. All you have to do is look for him and you find him. This week, um, I was down at the well. Uh, actually, it was the end of, toward, at the end of last week. It was last Thursday. And uh, a gentleman walks into the well. That's where the church offices are at. And he comes up to me and he goes, how are the ribs? Now, I had just shared the week earlier how I was at the community night with those giant slides. And I flew down that slide, by the way, for the community night coming up, this next one in August. We have two giant water slides coming. Two. One for the kids and then one for the adults. It's going to be great. It's going to be amazing. So I had shared how, I, I, you know, last week I even told the story. I was up on the slide and I came down and I came down at a little quicker pace than I anticipated. And, and perhaps I did some body damage. I don't know. So my ribs were everything. So I thought he was talking about my ribs. He says, how are, how are the ribs? I said, ah, oh, they're a little sore. And he goes, no, no, no. He goes, you know, the ribs. He said, you made ribs for me last week, and they were fantastic. I looked at him. I said, well, and I couldn't even speak because he kept talking. He goes, he goes, you have the best ribs in the area. He goes, I love the stuff. He goes, Dave, I've been getting ribs from you for years, and they're the greatest stuff ever. He goes, my life has been different since I found you. So I'm going to get some more ribs for you. So are the ribs good this week? And I looked at him. I said, yeah, they're good. <laughs> and he walked off. And two minutes later, big Dave walks in, and I'm just like, I, I don't I'm not Dave Deal. I don't know what to, in fact, this is a picture. This is me and Dave standing side by side. What about that says identical twins? 
He's got six inches on me. I mean, we're both ruggedly handsome. I'll give you that. He's got six inches on me. He cannot grow facial hair. He'll tell you. I have a beard, and he has me by at least 15 pounds, maybe a few more. I, look at the picture. Look at it. There have been people in this house that thought he was getting ready to speak. Look at him. There's nothing. I'm Greek. Don't you hate it when people misidentify who you are? Isn't it weird sometimes? I mean, that maybe physically they misidentify who you are, but isn't it weird? Don't you feel bad when people prejudge you before they know you? No, no, I already know you. I know your kind of people. I know your type of people. Don't you hate to be judged before people even get to know you? It stinks for us. How do you feel? How do you think God feels when all the people on the planet misidentify him and misrepresent his heart? Have you ever been hurt by a church? that misrepresented the heart of God? Have you ever been hurt by a person that said they're a believer, but they didn't act like a believer? We always, always encounter people that sometimes misrepresent God's heart. And let me just be real with you guys. All of us, if you suck air, most of us at some point or another have also misrepresented God's heart. Sometimes a little bit too much of TJ gets in there. And I don't necessarily have a proper reflection of who God's heart is. Think of all the people that you know in your life that think they know who Jesus is, but they really don't have a clue of who he is. I have a very simple philosophy. My mother taught me this. She goes, if you want to know something about somebody, you go to the source. We weren't allowed to talk about people. You go to the source. If you want to know about who Jesus is, go to the source. Open your Bible and read the words of Christ. That's what we've been doing this entire summer series. Our series is called I Am. Finding out who Jesus is in his own words. So last week we talked about what it means for God to be, Jesus to be the resurrection and the life. This week we take another step. What does it mean that Jesus is the vine? If you've got your Bibles, turn to John chapter 15. If you have our app, you get all of my notes. If you're on version of the Bible, you get my notes. If you're on Facebook, check in. I'm excited because this is a really, uh, it's another powerful part of Scripture. And I can promise you this, if you can get a hold of this truth, this simple truth, it'll, it'll radically change your life. It'll change your faith. It'll change everybody around you. It will. John 15, 1, the words of Jesus, he says, I am the true sprouting vine, and the farmer who tends to the vine is my father. He cares for the branches connected to me by lifting up and propping up the fruitless branches and pruning every fruitful branch to yield a greater harvest. The words I have spoken over you have already cleansed you. Verse 4, so you must remain in life union with me. For if I remain in life union with you, for as a branch is severed from the vine will not bear fruit, so your life will be fruitless unless you live your life intimately joined to mine. Verse 5, and I am the sprouting vine and you are my branches. As you live in union with me as your source, fruitfulness will stream from within you. But when you live separated from me, you are powerless. If a person is separated from me, he is discarded. Such branches are gathered up and thrown into the fire to be burned. Verse 7. But if you live in life union with me, and if my words live powerfully within you, then you can ask whatever you desire and it will be done. For when your lives bear abundant fruit, you demonstrate that you are my mature disciples who glorify my Father. I love, if, hopefully you, you figure this out by now. I love reading passages of scriptures in chunks. I'm not like a grab thing here. Last week we read like, I think 42 scriptures was the story. Somebody commented in the thing and said, man, those, those people working that computer, they were working overtime. I think it's important that you see the entire context of a scriptural passage and you understand purely what Jesus was saying here. So what did Jesus mean when he said that he's the vine and we're the branches? Well, the easy version of that is this. It means that you and I are connected to Christ. So what does that practically look like? What does it mean to be connected to Christ? I, uh, our family went, we were part of a, uh, a wedding a few weeks ago in Bloomsburg. A heavy Catholic family, beautiful family. And I was talking to one of the older people in the wedding, and she says, man, she goes, I love Jesus with all my heart. She goes, I go to Mass every day. She goes, sometimes on, on Sunday I go to Mass twice. Woo. What makes you connected to God? Is it how many times you come to church? What makes you connected to God? Is it all the worship music you listen to? Is it how many podcasts you can listen to? How much scripture do you have to digest every day to be connected to Christ? 
Now, don't get me wrong. All these things, all those things are beautiful and they're good and they're great. But, but what does it mean really to be connected to Christ? Do you have to be connected to Christ by doing all those things or is it different? What does it practically mean that Jesus is the vine? And what is real connection? Everybody say real. Real connection look like. We're moving away from the form and we're moving into the source. We're moving away from religion and we're moving into relationship. What does that look like? Well, I think when you look at the passage, you can break it down to three things. First, it means this. To be connected with him means that you and I are fused with Christ. We are fused with Christ. Look at the passage again. This is verse 4. Powerful verbiage. So you must remain in life union with me, for I remain in life union with you. For as a branch is severed from the vine, will not bear fruit, so your life will be fruitless unless you live intimately joined to mine. Say intimately. Of all the words that Jesus could pick to describe the relationship that he has with us, he chose to use the word intimate. What does intimate mean? Well, I think intimate is the closest thing to fusion as we can find. What is fusion? If you look at the definition of fusion... It means this. It's the process or result of joining two or more things together to form a single entity. The two things becoming one. So when Jesus tells us that he's the vine and we're the branches, beloved, this is more than a theological statement. He's talking about a shift in the very essence of who we are. We don't operate alone anymore. We're connected to him. We're one with him. This is more than just a, the, a theological statement. This is a divine invitation. This is nuts to share your life with the creator of the universe. You see, when Jesus calls us, he doesn't call us to just join a church. He calls us to be part of not even just the family, but to be part of him, to join with him intimately. It's about having an organic relationship with the God of the universe. You see, when you follow God, that's not a religious process. Following Christ deals with a relationship. There's a fusion that takes place. Do you ever think about the fusion that you and I have with God? When you have a fusion, you take these two things and you make them into one thing. And each party gets the benefit of the other. So what does God get from you? We know what God brings to the table in the fusion, right? He brings, let me think, everything. He's good. He's powerful. There's no darkness in him. He loves without restraint. He loves, you know, without condition. He brings everything to the table. What do you bring to the table? What do I bring to the table? Have you ever, like, come to a party, gone to a family thing, they ask you to bring something, and you realize after you bring your, you know, your, you stop at the, at the Wawa and you get your little bag of chips and then, you know, you're following the person that comes, you know, in front of you, they've got like, you know, the 12-bean salad. You could tell it took them three days to put theirs together, and you stopped at the Wawa to get your little thing. And you thought, I don't know if I brought enough for the party. Have you ever been that person? But you eat anyway, right? And then you take stuff home. That's another story. What do we bring to the table when it comes to the fusion? Nothing. We bring who we are. We're like the little loaves and the fishes. What does God want from us? You ready for this? Just you. Your love. Relationship. The very nature of God is relationship. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He just wants you. So the two become one. So following Christ is having a relationship with him. To be connected to Christ means that intimacy has to happen. You can't know God, really know God, from a distance, intimacy has to take place. This is 1 Corinthians 6, 17. It says, but when you are joined with the Lord, you become one spirit with him. Have you ever thought about that? When we're connected to Christ, the two become one. When you're intimate to God, when you're connected to the vine, that means this, God helps us to truly know and understand and present his heart properly. So here's the question this morning, beloved. Do you know God, or do you know God? Do you know of him, or do you know him? Jesus being the vine 
is the divine invitation that you and I have to infinite or to intimately know God. You see, because there's a difference between knowing something and then knowing about something. Have you ever thought you knew something and then in the middle of a situation you realize you didn't know what you thought you knew? A few years ago, we were in Denver, and uh, if you've ever been to Denver, you know, skiing's kind of a big deal out in the Rocky Mountains. Now, Robin and I, we grew up in a little town in, in Pennsylvania called Monroeville, and there's a little ski area in Monroeville. Little, little ski, boys park, you can go skiing, and we grew up skiing, so I've been skiing a bunch of times. Skiing in Monroeville, Pennsylvania is slightly different than skiing at Breckenridge or Vail in the Rockies. They got these things called black diamonds. You know why the diamond's black? Because black is death. You could die. So our, our youth group was going on a ski trip, and they're like, hey, we got some extra money, some extra spots. Do you, do you want to come? So me and my brother, my brother's visiting me, and I said, yeah, so let's go. Now, I'd been skiing for years, but I'd never been snowboarding. And I was watching TV, snowboards were coming out, and I thought, that looks like the coolest thing ever. How tough could it be to go snowboarding? So I decided on that day, my brother did too, we weren't going to ski down the Rockies. We were going to snowboard. We were going to do this new and exciting thing. How many of you have ever been snowboarding before? There you go. So you know what I'm talking about here. So we get up into the, into the mountains, and I remember we go to, I think, El Dorado is where we go. Beautiful mountain. It's not, you know, it's just beautiful, all the stuff. So we get in there, and I get my snowboard. We rent all the stuff. And the guy is looking at us, and I guess from the way I'm holding the board and stuff like that, he asked me the question. He goes, sir, he goes, do you, do you know what you're doing with the snowboard? And again, I'd skied for years and done all that stuff. And I looked at him with all the conviction in my heart. I said, how tough could it be? Because I'm a guy. We don't need instructions, right? So he just went, good luck with that. I still remember that. So me and my brother take our little snowboards. We take our stuff. We put our snowboard on. You, know, you put it on one leg. And it's kind of like a surfboard, but for, for the snow. Thus, snowboard. There you go. We get on the lift. We go up to the top of the lift. And I realized my first indication that I might be in trouble was as we were getting closer to the exit point, the thought occurred to me, I, I don't know how to get off the ski lift with a snowboard attached to my leg. So I looked at my brother, it's just me and him, and we're both big guys. I said, how are you going to get off this thing? Is that good, easy peasy? It'd be fine. Um, they had to stop the lift three times because two junky Greeks backed up everything. So we get up in there the first time. I'm taking my run down the hill. I get into the, I get into the, into this thing, the straps, and I'm getting ready to go down. And I, I, I talked to a few guys, and I knew that you kind of just shushed kind of back and forth. You kind of did this. You don't do this because you could die. You kind of go back and forth. So I had a, 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 a rough understanding on how this thing worked. So my brother and I, we start down the hill, and we start rolling, and, and it's fun. And I'm thinking, this isn't so bad at all. I don't know what the big deal is about this thing. And we're having the time of our life, and then I realize something. I'm starting to pick up speed. Gravity, once again, is taking a hold of my Greek body and sucking me to the earth. And then the thought occurred to me, I don't know how to stop a snowboard. If you ski, how do you stop skiing? You, know, you snowplow. You know, or you can do real, I just, I snowplow. You can't snowplow with a, with a snowboard because you only got one board. There's no plowing. So I'm moving quicker to the earth, and I'm thinking to myself, I got to bail out, I'm going to die. And I thought to myself, self, the best way to do this, I'm just going to kind of ease down, and then and maybe I'll just, I'll just kind of slide off to the side, and I'll get up and everything fine. I didn't realize snowboards, if you ride a snowboard, it's all about the edge. You have a back edge, and you have a front edge. As long as you keep that edge in the back down, you're in good shape. But you put that front edge down, you basically stop the snowboard with your face. And I did that. And, it, and if you're moving quick, it doesn't stop instantly. It's like this. Um, so after the third run... My brother and I decided to just sit at the lounge and drink cocoa because I thought I knew what it was like to snowboard, but I, I really, I really didn't know it. Something changed in my psyche once I actually got on a board. My feet connected to the board it changed my entire outlook on what it meant to, to be part of the process. Beloved, as believers, you need to know God. It's not enough for us to have a working knowledge of who we think he is. If you do that, your faith will never be vibrant, you'll never grow, and you'll never be the person that God created you to be because all of this thing, this faith thing is built on this one concept. He's the vine, we're the branches. Apart from him, you can't do anything. It's more than a function. It's a fusion. Two lives coming together. That's what it is. We must experience fusion with Christ if you want to truly understand him, if you truly want a faith that's alive.
It has to be intimate. You have to have a desire in your heart to know him, and you have to be willing to be known. Here's a litmus test for you to know if you're really intimate with God or not. When you screw up. When you screw up, do you run from him or do you run to him? If you're intimately joined with Christ, you understand. When you screw up, you run to him. You run into your father's arms. You don't run away. You don't hide. Do you know him? It starts with fusion, being connected to the vine. We are fused. The two are one. Let's keep going. Look at verse 5. He says, I'm the sprouting vine and you're my branches. As you live in union with me as your source, fruitfulness will stream from within you. But when you live separated from me, you're powerless. Now, this is interesting. So we move from fusion to the next thing. It's, very, it's a natural progression. If you're connected to the vine, naturally you'll produce fruit. So we move from fusion, intimacy, to fruit. Fruit is the byproduct of the union that we have with God. You can tell the strength of your relationship with Christ by the fruit that you produce. Now, did you know this? All of us produce fruit. I was out yesterday weeding my garden. I missed weeding my garden for like a week and a half, and it looks like Jurassic Park. I think I saw a velociraptor run across my tomatoes. And I remember I was, I was picking tomatoes and doing stuff. We did this thing yesterday. We went and we, we had such bounty out of our garden, we made these little garden bags for all of our neighbors. We put a little note in there from our from our garden to your table, you know, enjoy. No givebacks, because I have like 700 tomatoes. No givebacks. Throw them at your neighbors. Do not bring them back to us. And as I'm weeding the garden, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing these, these weeds, these things growing right next to beautiful tomatoes and eggplants. I'm seeing weeds that look like trees, and there's berries and stuff on them. I'm like, I wonder what that tastes like. Then I'm thinking to myself, don't eat that. You could die. But the thought that struck me yesterday was this. Everything in my garden produces fruit. You produce fruit in your life. The question is this, what type of fruit do you produce? Do you produce fruit in keeping with your relationship with God and godly things, or you, do you produce other types of fruit? By the way, and you've heard me say this before, what does a plant have to do to produce fruit? Does a tomato plant have to work hard to produce a tomato? Does a squash, zucchini, zucchini doesn't work hard at all. It's just like all over the place. What does a zucchini plant have to do to produce fruit? Be healthy. Grow. Healthy things grow. As a believer, some of you guys are working really hard to produce fruit that's supposed to be a natural byproduct of your relationship with Christ. Allow the Spirit to do His work. Be healthy in your relationship with Christ and fruit will flow from your life because healthy things grow because when you're connected to the vine, one of the benefits of that is you'll produce fruit. So when Jesus was talking about fruit, what did he mean? When we talk about fruit, you've got to look at Galatians chapter 5, 22. If you've got your Bibles, flip over there real quick. The fruit that we read about in Galatians is, a, is, again, it's a guide for us to show us exactly how well our relationship with Christ is doing. Not all of us are going to knock it out of the park with all of these, these pieces of fruit. But it, it shows us where, you know, the health of our relationship. Galatians 5, and 23 says this. But the Holy Spirit produces this type of fruit in our lives. Love. Every believer, the cornerstone of your faith, the filter of everything you say and do should be love. That's why here at Trinity Community Church, in our big three, the first thing is love. We love God and people extravagantly. It's the cornerstone of our faith. As a believer, you need to be a loving person. You have to produce love. If you're not, you're not connected to the vine right. Joy. We need to be people of joy. Everybody, let's practice this. Let's smile on the count of three. One, two, three. Some of y'all need to practice that. You're like, scary. Be people of joy. You can be joyful in every situation. You can. Peace. We need to be people of peace. Again, the world can't look to us and see us losing our minds. We're stable. We're strong. We're filled with peace that passes all understanding. We are all byproducts. Patience. How many people here struggle with patience? 
Allow the Holy Spirit to work on you. By the way, do me a favor. If you pray for God to give you patience, and I see you at the Acme, tell me you've prayed for that because i got to make sure I don't get behind you in line. Because you'll be in every long line. You'll be, I mean, it's just how patience works, right? Allow God to develop that in you. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's no law against these things. When we're talking about fruit as believers, these are the things that we should be known for. These are the things that we should produce. It's just the way that it is. How do people describe you? What do they say about you? When they say, oh, man, that guy, Bill, he's the most loving person I've ever met in my life. Oh, man, that guy, yeah, that, that guy, Fred, man, that guy, Fred, you know, he's full of such faith. It's just amazing. You know, that girl, Sally, man, I'll tell you what, she has the patience. Oh, my goodness. Our life should reflect the work of the Spirit inside of us, the fruit that we produce. Now, do me a favor. If you, if you go down this list and you're like, I got that one down. Yeah, I got to work on this one. All those things, if you, if you don't have all this stuff down yet, that's okay. We're all a work in progress. We are. Do me a favor, though. When you pray, when you seek the Lord, you know, if you, if you fail, if you don't pass a test, don't, don't feel sorry for yourself. Get back up on the horse and ask God to help you to be better. Ask him, say, Lord, what am I doing? What's missing in my life so that I can be so joined with you that I can produce this fruit? Because healthy things grow. Now, there's another aspect of this little passage that sometimes we don't talk about. It's in there right there. It says, being powerless. Look at the passage again. He says, I'm the sprouting vine. You're my branches. As you live in union with me as your source, fruitfulness will stream from within you. It says, but if you live separated from me, you are powerless. So what is this, this scripture saying? What is Jesus saying here? He's saying this. One of the indicators for you and I being separated from God is a lack of power or not being as connected, fused as intimately as we should, being a lack of power. Now, do you know for us as believers, God has called you and I to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Without the Spirit, beloved, you can't do anything. We're called to not just be people of words, but to be people of power. This is what 1 Corinthians 4.20 says. For the kingdom realm of God comes with power, not simply impressive words. It's not about all the things that you say. It's about being so yielded to the Spirit that He can do anything He wants through you. It is. So why do we need to walk in power? Sometimes when you use a word like power, people think of all these intergalactic weird things. It's more than that, beloved. Do you know you need the power of God to just live a godly life? How many of you struggle sometimes to just be the person that God created you to be. Do you know what you need? An infusion of the Holy Spirit, an infusion of God's power to help you to be the person that he wants you to be. You can't be that person without the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't bring Christ to others without the power of the Holy Spirit. You cannot bring the kingdom to the planet now without the power of the Spirit. Remember last week? We talked about how he's the resurrection and the life. And what did Jesus bring to the table that was different? He could change people's situations and circumstances now. Because of that power. God wants to do the same thing through you. When you're connected to the vine, you're not just connected to the person of Christ, you are connected to the power of Christ. The power to change the now. Do you know that every person that you connect with on a daily basis, somebody in your circle of influence is hurting physically, relationally, emotionally, spiritually, we are people that God has peppered into a hard, hard, broken world. And his heart to reach these people is you. It's me using us. Do you understand that sometimes God will use you to answer the prayers of other people? Those prayers in the middle of the night, Lord, I can't take another step. Show me you're real. Show me you're alive. When God whispers in your ear, that might be an answer to somebody else's prayer. You trust and you just step out. We do it. That's what it means for us to be so connected to God that, again, we're fused with him. There's fruit that's flowing in our life, and you live a powerful Christian life. He's called us to be people of power. When we pray, things should happen. When we speak, people's hearts should be affected. When we show love and kindness, it's more than just a cup of water. It's more than just food. It's life. That's what he's called us to be. Does your life reflect the power of the Holy Spirit? If it doesn't, check your connection to the vine. 
See if you're connected to the vine. I came in this morning to grab my computer, and I must have, with my chunky Greek legs, knocked my, my charger off my computer. So I went to power it up, and guess what happened? Nada. Nothing. Because it was unplugged, and it was running on its battery, and eventually the battery ran out. Because the laptop just doesn't run on itself all the time. It needs to be plugged into the source. You could do it for a little bit. you got to be plugged into the source. Capiche? Are you with me? Sorry, that just slipped out. Little ethnicity slipped out. I remember a few years ago, we, um, I had an opportunity to go to Cuba with um, a few guys. This was uh, 20, oh gosh, Ty was, I think, two years old, one or two years old, 23 years ago. I was a young, vibrant, stupid youth pastor that felt that he was invincible. So I had a bunch of guys come up to me, a couple guys that said, man, they said, we, uh, we're heading to Cuba. We're not allowed to go to Cuba. There's no diplomatic relations, so we're going to go into Canada and sneak into Cuba to take medicine and Bibles, and we lost our mule. Would you like to be a mule? I said, I would love to be your mule. I had no idea what a mule was. You know what a mule was? I carried heavy stuff. That's what I was. So we snuck into Cuba. We brought Bibles and medicine and all kinds of things, and it totally rocked my world. I want to encourage you. You want to stretch in your faith? Go on a missions trip. Get out of your space. Engage with people that are different than you that don't have all the things that you have. So we're in Cuba, and it's just bananas. I mean, communist stuff. Very real early on, they let us know if things go south and you get arrested, there's no diplomatic relations with, with Cuba and the United States, so you just stay here forever. I'm like, I wish you would have told me that before I left. Don't tell me that in the airport. Thanks, guys. And I remember we were going to these meetings, and this one specific meeting, there was a, a little house, a cramped house. I think I have a picture of it up here somewhere. They'll, they'll pop up here at some point. And, and there were so many people that there were people in the house, and there were people on all the, the, the grounds and stuff. And I'm there, and I had a translator, and we're talking, and we're doing some stuff. And they brought this young girl to us, and they, they carried her in front of us. And I'll never forget it. She was gray. And um, when they said, she needs prayer now, we have to pray for her now, just gray. And I was talking to the translator. I said, what, what's going on with this girl? What, what, what's her problem? What's happening? He goes, well, he goes, she has um, 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 parasites. She has worms. I said, she's worms? She says, yeah, worms kill. You know, the thing you treat your dog for, that's one of the things that kills most of the kids in, in, in Cuba. He says, she's very sick. She's going to die. Unless God touches her tonight, she's going to die. So we prayed. And I saw her mom and her dad. There's tears streaming down her face. They weren't believers. And we prayed for this little girl. And I, I mean, we, I mean, I, Lord, I mean, how many, how many times have you been in those situations? You're like, this is the only door. There's nothing else. You can't go to the CVS. You can't go to, to the hospital. Unless God shows up, you can't do anything else. And we're praying and people are crying. And then they just take the girl back home. And I remember all night I just sat in my bunk and I kept thinking, man, I wonder what happened to that girl. I wonder what happened to that girl. Next day we go back to the same place. And this girl, that little girl comes skipping up there. She gives, gives us a hug. She's crying colors back into her body. Everything's vibrant. Everything's glowing. Her parents are just crying. Everything's great. God's power. A display of God's power. I can promise you this. Promise you this. Not only did that radically, you know, speak life into the church. By the way, just so you guys know, in that little church there, it wasn't that big of a deal. They see people healed all the time because they have no other choice. God, you either heal them or they're gone. But I can tell you this, it cemented their faith, and you know what it really did? Probably, maybe if God did it for one reason, it cemented my faith. I saw it with my own eyes. Displays of God's power. What did I do that was extraordinary to see that happen? Nothing. I prayed. Lord, I'm connected to the vine. This is what you said. Why not? Beloved, step out. Do those things. That's what it looks like when you're connected to the vine. Power just happens. Our church in Wisconsin, I don't know why, uh, we started to see people just get healed. And nobody would touch anybody. Didn't We were just in worship. And one of the coolest stories was we had, a, uh, we had a family that was just passing through. They owned a barbecue place, so they were already close to my heart in a neighboring town. And uh, the wife had terrible back issues. The guy did too, but he didn't really talk about it. And he said, you know, we were heading to, to work on a Sunday and she was hurting so bad. He said, we're just going to stop into church and just see what's going on. He goes, so in the midst of just worship, we're just worshiping. The girl, the lady, starts to scream because her back's on fire. It's like, what is going on? My back, my back, my back. And her husband, to steady her, puts his hands on her back, and then his back starts to get hot. 
So the service is over, and they both come running to me. We're talking about, there's a couple in their 60s. They said, we have no idea what just happened. We came in, it's the first time we've ever been in here. You know, we, we, we go to a Lutheran church. We just popped in here real quick. I came in here in pain. I have no more pain anymore. My husband, who was just there to help me, didn't even, he was, his stuff manual. He doesn't have any pain. What, what is this? What's going on? I said, it's God. He loves you. But nobody touched us. I know, God did. But, but nobody said there was no... I know. Why would he do that? Because he loves you. He cares for you. Why did that happen there? This is why I think I'm convinced it happened, because we, are, as a church, we're committed to praying. Prayer is the gasoline in the engine of the church. And we had a posture of yieldedness. Lord, whatever you want to do in this house, would you do it through us? That's it. If God can do it in Cuba, God can do it in Wisconsin. Why can't he do it here? Why can't he do it through you? He does, if you're connected to the vine. It's part of being connected to the vine. I want to encourage you. Maybe your, your, your relationship with God, maybe your faith doesn't reflect all of that yet. I want to encourage you to be a part of something that Michaela talked about earlier. Come to prayer furnace tonight. It's an hour-long prayer time. We just pray. It's not us just getting in a circle going, um, that's not prayer furnace. We worship with music on the screens. We've got amazing prayer stations that Robin puts together. We have body ministry. That means this. We have elders here in the front. If you're sick or you need prayer for anything, we pray for you. If you want to be filled with the Spirit, we pray for you. We pray for our community, and amazing things happen. If you want to get your toes in the water of what this looks like, come tonight. It's one hour. That's it. One hour. Can you give God an hour? Are the Eagles playing tonight? If they are, you need to be here extra. They need all the help they can get. Amen. Need you a quarterback. Can Hurst do it? I don't know. We'll see. Right? Get plugged into the power. Join us tonight if you can. So what does it mean that Jesus is divine? First, we're fused to him. The two become one. We get the benefits of who he is, and he gets all that we are. Second, when you're fused with Christ, the byproduct is good fruit. We're fruitful. We produce fruit in our lives. Once that happens, it takes us to the last part. Spiritual formation starts to take place in our lives, and we start to not just grow, but we start to mature. There's formation. Look at the passage, verse 8. It says, when your lives bear abundant fruit, you demonstrate that you are my mature. Everybody say mature. Mature disciples who glorify my Father. The goal for us as believers, beloved, is to be a proper reflection of Christ. You cannot be a proper reflection of Christ until you're yielded to the Holy Spirit and you start to grow in your faith. Growth, maturity, spiritual formation is part of that process. And that happens when you and I are connected to the vine. We don't just produce fruit, but we start to grow. We get stronger. We become more stable. We become more fruitful. The more fruitful you are, the more God can use you to establish and expand his kingdom. That all comes to maturity. If we want to be an effective group of believers, if you want to be an effective believer, you have to continue to mature in your faith. You have to grow. If we want to be a church that really affects our community, not just doing cool things a couple times a year, but if we really want to make an impact in our community, if we really want to change the world, we have to mature, we have to grow. Our world does not need spiritual babies. We have those. They come in every week. You cannot be coming to our church for 10, 20, 30 years and still be a spiritual baby. Hear my heart on that. I'm not being mean or nasty. You have to grow. We have to grow in our faith. Hopefully by now, one of the things that you'll learn from, from Robin and I, we will not leave you to be a spiritual baby. We will push you We'll help to expand you. We'll help to get you out of your comfort zone. We'll put you in uncomfortable situations so that you'll grow in your faith. Why? It's our job. To equip the saints to do the work of ministry. That's my job. You're a saint. My job to equip you. It's not my job to run around and do everything. Trust me, I love to do it all. You put an ice cream cone in my hand, I am your guy. But my primary job is to equip you to do the work of ministry. It is. Our world doesn't need spiritual babies. Our world needs spiritual believers 
that know who they are in Christ, they understand their assignment, they walk in power, and they walk in maturity. They're mature, they're deep wells. Now, Paul talks about the importance of maturity here in Ephesians. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. You can look at it real quick. Actually, it'd be 11 through 15. It says this, So Christ gave him the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach such a unity in faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Everybody say mature. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Look at verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here, blown there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. I think this pandemic if it's done one positive thing for us, one of the positive things that we've seen come from it as a church as a whole, Big C Church, it's shown us what we're really anchored to, how mature we really are. I've had too many brothers, sisters, other churches that have been tossed to and fro, to and fro, to and fro. Why? They're not anchored in the right place. Maturity knows where it's anchored. It's foundational. This is why we take time to build the foundations of what we need as a church. For example, and I wasn't going to say this, but I'm going to say it. If it's wrong, forgive me. This is a house of grace and restoration, right? We have a team of elders. We developed our team of elders. There's eight of them, including me. For a year, we met together before we had elders. We met together to pray. We met together to train. We met together to read the word together. We met together to break bread. We got to know each other for a year before any of us had the title of elder. Why? Because it's a part of the foundation. It's important. And if we want to have a mature Christ or a mature church, you take time to build those things that are important, those foundational pieces. I think that's part of the reason why God helped us to navigate this time very well. Because we had people that were prepared to navigate it, anchored in the right place. Beloved, that's your story. God wants to mature you so that the wind and the waves and all those things that come to try to shipwreck your life won't be able to affect you. If you're anchored in the right place, you will not just survive the storm, but you'll still get to where you're supposed to be. Do you believe that? God does that in all of us if you trust him. Again, when we're focused and we're fused with Christ, that relationship is, de is designed to flourish. Healthy things grow. From this fusion, again, we produce fruit. And then from that good fruit, maturity takes place. And when that maturity starts to take place, you can face things that you never thought in a million years you could face. For example, it was July 2019. You know, Robin and I were in Wisconsin. We're in an amazing church. God's doing some ridiculous things. And uh, we just finished our Easter services. We had 1,000 people in the house for Easter. 1,000 people. Three years earlier, or two and a half years earlier, we started with about 80 people. Not too bad, huh? And we're sitting there, and things are blowing and going. I remember it was April, kind of sitting back saying, Lord, look at the good things that you've done. What an amazing thing. And I heard a whisper. You ever hear those whispers of the Spirit? God whispered in my heart in one of my morning devotion times, his son, I have something else for you now. And I was like, uh, I think you may have the wrong number. <laughs> no, 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 God. We just had like a thousand people here for Easter. Everything's good. I've, I've learned to like cheese. Everything's fine. Wisconsin will be fine. Son, I have, I have other things for you now. No, no, Lord. No, no. Everything's going to be fine. And God started to continue to whisper to me. April. May, June, the whisper got louder and louder and louder. So finally, I sat down with Robin one day. I was afraid to talk to her. I said, babe, I said, I think, I think God's doing something, moving us along. And she confirmed it. She goes, I feel the same thing. At that point, my dad was, uh, was with us. 
he had a heart condition. He was with us for four years. Wisconsin was a good place for him. And, um, you know, we just felt God was doing something. So usually in my life, God will say, TJ, I, I have this over here for you now. So you need to let go of this so you can grab a hold of this. But this was unique for me because God didn't, he just said, I need you to let go of this. And I'm like, okay, what am I going to grab onto? He's like, I'll tell you in a bit. I'll let you know when you need to know. How many of you really enjoy God when he does that stuff with you? So I sit down with, with the family, sit down with my father, who's a little prickly guy, and I said, Dad, I said, I believe God's kind of doing this, and he's moving us. He goes, well, where are we going? I said, I, I, I don't know. If God tells you, let me know. And I still remember his first words. He goes, well, that's dumb. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. Thanks. I remember talking to some of the rest of the family, too. I won't remember who they are. I mentioned who they are. And the same question kept coming up. Why, 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 why? I said, I don't know. God's telling Where are we going? I don't know. Sat down with their elders. And they said, well, what, what, what do you need? Blah, blah, blah. I said, guys, I'm just telling you. I feel in my heart God is shifting some things. It's time for us to, to step on. I don't know why. It's time for us to move aside so that you can become who you're supposed to be. But where are you going? I don't know. So... The first week in July, 2019, that Sunday after the morning service, I make an announcement. Um, we're going to be leaving. Our last service will be the end of July. Hit our church like a freight train. The elders knew. There were tears. It was, it was rough. Still had no idea what was going on. And all through that process, I'm like, Lord, I think I've heard you. But man, I, 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 am I, could I have missed it? I don't understand. And I just continued to feel this overwhelming peace and this strength in me, saying, son, you're exactly where I want you to be. Six days later, on a Saturday night, my father dies in my arms in that house. My dad had one request, getting ready to pass on. He said, I just want to die being surrounded by family. He got that. In my arms, he died. So again, stay with me. First Sunday, we give our resignation. Six days later, my father dies. Two days after that, my brother calls me. His, uh, my, my sister-in-law was seven months pregnant with my, with my niece. Uh, my brother and sister-in-law had walked through the process of uh, trying to become a parent a few times. In fact, it was just a year earlier that we, we buried my nephew. He didn't quite make it. Um, so it was tough for them. He called me. He says, T, he says, I had a dream that I lost Melissa and the baby. I said, Tim, you're crazy. Everything's going to be fine. Put that in the back of your head. It'll be fine. Thursday, five days after my father passes away, I get a call from Chicago, four hours away from us. TJ, they're rushing Melissa in for emergency surgery. She's bleeding. I think we're going to lose her and the baby. I jump in a car, I drive down to Chicago. All true stories. We get down there, and um, they try to, they're trying to stabilize her so that at least they could try to save the baby. Um, so we're down there, and we're praying, and my brother's a mess, and everybody's a mess, and I'm like, okay, God. Um, this has been quite an amazing two and a half weeks. You know, son, I'm with you. You got this. They stabilize Melissa. They bring, take the baby. The baby's healthy. She's beautiful today, Olivia. Um, my my sister-in-law has to go into two emergency surgeries. She stabilizes. I'm down there for a week. She gets strong. I drive back up the next week on that Saturday to have a wake for my father. And then that Sunday is our last Sunday at our church. In a month, step down, death, could be death, could be life, life, wake, goodbye. All the while, TJ, where are you going? I don't know. I have no idea. I remember um, sitting in a, in a chair. Actually, if you go to, that's my father, by the way. Uh, you can, that's, my, that's my niece, Olivia. You can go to the next slide. She's a cutie patootie. That's my dad's wake. Next slide. That's my dad. Good looking guy. That chair right there. You can have the dogs if you want them. That, that chair. <laughs> I remember, um, again, this happens in July. I think it was October. I'm sitting in that chair. It's a rainy day in Wisconsin. And I'm just reflecting on all this stuff. And I'm like, Lord, I don't understand. I don't understand, you know, this whole, this whole thing. I don't understand this process. I don't understand this whole season. I still don't know where you want me to go. I've got all these churches calling. I don't know what to do. And I heard him whisper again. saying, son, the reason you're walking through all this is to prepare you 
for the things that I have for you down the road, but to also remind you of this. You were prepared to walk this road. You were mature, you're solid in your faith. And this isn't just for you, it's an example for all those that will walk behind you. And it was that morning, I remember I was picking up the phone and getting ready to call a church in Orlando, which we thought we were going to be heading to, and I get a call from our superintendent here. And he says, hey, would you ever consider perhaps a little church in Delaware? And I was going to hang up the phone and say no, because we're already, and I felt the Holy Spirit say, son, be quiet, listen to what he has to say. This is it. Maturity. The only reason, beloved, we were able to walk through that and navigate that is because at every stretch, at every turn, I did my very best to stay connected to the vine. Why they didn't know what to do? Well, where are you going? I don't know. I just get closer to God. I got to be connected to the vine. Jesus, I don't know what the path looks like, but you do. I need to be connected to the vine. If you don't know what else to do, get as close as you can to Jesus. Stay as connected as you can to Jesus. Don't let worry overtake you. Don't let fear overtake you. Don't even let sorrow and death overtake you. You get as close. You plant yourself right next to Jesus and you just you declare, I'm not going to be moved. That's maturity. That's what God needs from us now in this season. You cannot be wishy-washy anymore. As believers, we have to decide, are you all in? Can people anchor to you? Can God depend on you? This is our season. This is our choice. So are you connected to the vine? Are you fused with him? Does your life produce fruit? Is he forming in you someone that he can use, someone that he can depend on? Bow your heads with me. Take a minute and just let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Fused, fruit, formed. Ask the Holy Spirit, say, Lord, do I know you? Or do I know about you? Holy Spirit, show me the fruit that's in my life now. Is it in reflection of what you want? God, am I mature enough that you can send me on assignments and I'm not going to buckle, I'm not going to break. If not, show me what needs to shift. Throw those out to the Spirit today and listen to what He tells you. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. We hope this met you exactly where you are. To learn more about us, head to our website at tccde.com or follow us on social media at Trinity Community Church. TCC, a home for you.